Welcome to this podcast of But Did You Die? Podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host, Craig, Mandy, Wendy, and me, John. We are an acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. Let's talk about thinking and teamwork, two subjects that are incredibly important in medicine, uh, definitely in the emergency room and the ICU, but really throughout the hospital and any business or organization, nonprofit, for-profit, if you're unable to think and analyze situations and work together as a team, you will not be successful. And if you can think and analyze situations and work together as a team, you will be successful. Um, And that takes everything from the ability to work with others who may or may not be like you in terms of personality. Um, It also takes the ability to have some introspection and recognize your strengths and weaknesses and also be able to take constructive criticism without getting offended and take that information, process it, work to improve on it, and be able to in turn deliver information like that to other people in a, in a way that is constructive because you're trying to help build the team. I think one of the things that we see in the emergency room is the somewhat inherent challenge in communicating between different specialties um, I'll take, for example, somebody who comes in with a possible heart attack. And first thing we get is an EKG to look at uh, certain patterns that would be concerning for an acute heart attack. And it's often not clear cut. And in the emergency room, we have the advantage of looking at the patient and seeing, does this patient appear ill or are they texting on their cell phone? Um, and if they appear ill and they've got some concerning changes or findings on the EKG, oftentimes we'll call the cardiologist and say, listen, I, I really am worried about this patient. And more times than not, well, that, I mean, it, it, it depends on the cardiologist that you are uh, speaking to, but sometimes it ends up as more of an argument than a discussion. And that is no way to run a team because then you are instantaneously defending yourself and it becomes a, I'm the cardiologist and I'm the specialty and I know more about this and that's why you're calling me. Well, yes, that is why I'm calling you, but I'm seeing the patient and the patient looks sick and I'm worried about the patient. Um, and I'm not trying to pick on cardiology. It could be any, it could be a stroke patient and you're talking to a neurologist. It could be a, any specialty. Um, but the, the reality is if you have an organization in place that fosters a teamwork mentality and you pick up the phone to call the, the cardiologist or whatever specialist and you're like, Hey, listen, not really sure about what I'm seeing here. I am worried about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this patient looks sick. They've got some concerning risk factors. Having that conversation with someone that you know is going to say that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And here's my thought process. Uh, not putting you on the defensive, not, you know, implying that you don't know how to read an EKG, 
um, which which happens uh, unfortunately, and it is frustrating. Um, but those those specialists who recognize that this is a this is a team game. <laughs> I mean, whether you like it or not, medicine is a team sport. Um, nobody is doing everything on their own anymore. Um, and if you're a doctor that can't work with nurses, well, you're going to be shit out of luck. And if you're a doctor who can't work with other doctors, well, you need to get into a clinic because that's about the only place I can imagine. And even then, you're probably going to have to work with other doctors. I mean, it just, it, there just aren't many avenues where you aren't going to have to interact with, you know, other specialties. Um, and, and You're going to have to send a referral sometime. Yeah. You got to. You're That's what have, I was going to say. You got to send a referral. You're going to have to send a referral. And people Somebody are like, else yeah. Is Medical take your examiner, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's the only one. That <laughs> no, but people are like, well, police. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, yeah. a, I'm going to be a radiologist. Like, yeah. And then you're going to pick up the phone. and You're going to call me in the emergency room, and you're going to have to talk to me. And like, hey, or I may call you and say, hey, listen, I, I saw your interpretation, but what, what about you? What do you think about this? You know, and I'm not question. Yes, I am questioning you, but I am not questioning your ability or your talent I am simply wanting to place emphasis on something that you don't see the patient you don't know what I'm concerned about and we don't usually have discourse with a radiologist so if I'm, I'm picking up the phone don't take it personally not only that it, the end result is for a positive outcome for the patient and if you're wrong own it like that's okay I mean like nobody's perfect um, and if you're right own it too and just say hey look no I, I see what you're talking about and I really think this is more artifact related I'm not worried about it tell me more about the patient's presentation and then we can have a conversation but again more of a team mentality and you know I know I've played on teams that functioned really well and we ended up performing really well and I've played on teams that uh, didn't get along and we didn't do so hot I mean it just we just didn't mesh um what would you say is one of the biggest dysfunctions that you've noticed on some of these teams that didn't do so hot? Communication is the common thread. And I, I think what I mean by communication is not, hey, why didn't you pass me the ball? I was wide open. It's that, it's that community. It's that it's that ninety uh, percent of communication that's not what's said. It's how it was said and the body language that it was said with, mm -hmm. and that's where people drop the ball. As opposed to, hey man, next time take a look to your right. I'm right down in that corner, and that you know the other team he's not guarding me. So if you're there, I'm wide open. As opposed to being like dumbass, I can't believe you didn't see me. I was wide open because I've gotten both both ways. Yeah. And you can tell exactly which one's going to put you on the defensive and make you be like, well, gosh, I, I didn't mean to miss you. Like, I'm not trying to lose this game, you right. know? Um, and so the communication that I'm talking about is not the communication of what was said. It's the communication of how it was said and the body language that was used. And I think about 90% of it is body language and, and how it's said. And like seven to 10% is actually what's said. So that's pretty fascinating. And I think that's true whether you're playing, talking about sports teams, military groups, or hospital teams. Um, because yeah, I know very well uh, which uh, consultants I'm going to have an easy time talking to, and they're going to uh, listen to what I have to say, and which consultants are going to not listen and 
be right 100% of the time, even though they're be not. Be obstructionist? Be obst- to patient care? Yeah, be obstructionist. Um, and again, I'm not always right, and I want to know when I'm not right. So that's, that's how we learn. And I think that's another thing that's hard in the ER is that, you know, unless something goes really bad wrong, we don't usually hear about it. Uh, I mean, it, it, we try to follow up as we can. Um, but, you know, especially the patients that go home, we try to reach out to them if we can get a functioning phone number uh, and see how they're doing. And then, of course, if they're admitted, sometimes we'll find out. But if they do fine, we usually never hear about it. So we don't even know in the process of that management, was there anything that I could have done better even though the patient outcome was good overall, is there, there's still ways to improve, and we don't usually get that feedback. And so that's where it is um, helpful to have those consultants that are say, hey, listen, you know, that patient that we, we talked about, I liked what you did here. Next time, maybe uh, I would probably do this, and here's why I would do this. And, you know, get some feedback and just some mutual respect, I think, is the other thing. Um, you know, whether it's communication. I think the teams also that have done well have had mutual respect. And have recognized that, hey, you're out there busting your ass trying to do everything you can to win for this team. Uh, and I'm doing the same. And I respect you for that. And you respect me for that. And if we lose, I know that we didn't lose because you weren't given every effort that you had. Uh, and I use the same analogy because patients are going to die. It doesn't matter if I do everything perfect. It's, it's going to happen. Um, and when I have consultants that recognize, hey, man, that, that sucks. You did everything that you could have done. And, um, you know, even if I would have done something differently, here's maybe what I would have done. But I don't know that in the moment I would have thought of doing this. That's a completely different conversation than someone's like, I can't believe you missed this. You dumbass. You just killed the patient, which I have seen that conversation. I've thankfully never personally had it happen to me, but I have seen it happen. Um, it's not constructive. It's not helpful. No. It, it's, 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 Yeah. It's not useful at all. But I've also seen the physicians that don't take the criticism, that are too good to improve, and that's a problem, too. They deflect it all on somebody else. They deflect it all or make shit up. I mean, it's just one of those things where they... They're not coachable, and we've we've talked about that. You know, you play on a team, you've got to be coachable too. Um, I know Mandy and Craig did the leadership podcast a week or two ago, and um, I just remember one of the uh, leadership experts that I listened to, um, Jocko Willink. He does a podcast on leadership, uh, really awesome uh, podcast. Uh, I would highly recommend it for anybody, uh, but he talks a lot about leadership. One of the things he talks about is that in order to be a good leader, you also have to be a good follower. Um, and I take that to mean you have to be coachable and you've got to recognize that you don't know it all. And there are people on your team that are going to be skilled at certain things you're not skilled at. And that's okay. And you try to learn from those people. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's what you hope for is that you can build each other up. Yeah. So, and you know, one of the things is, you know, as a follower, uh, you have to be able to not only follow, but also provide intelligence to the people above you and laterally of you. And as you do that, you're showing your leadership. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of folks get uncomfortable in in those positions. You know, they're like, Hey, you know, I have to tell you the truth about what's going on. And it could be anything, you know, um, from your, you know, a nurse or a doc telling you that your patient is not doing well, um, to, hey, you're about to lose a lot of money if you don't make this decision, you know, quickly. Um, or, 
you're about to get into a firefight if you go into this area and things are going to go really south for you. And uh, it's very difficult for a lot of folks to actually have the intestinal fortitude to provide that information and just be accurate with it. And that way you can make a clear-cut decision as a leader to say, hey, you know what, yeah, I do need to escalate what I'm doing with this patient, or I do need to bring reinforcements, you know, with me on this mission, or I need to have air cover, or whatever it is you need to do. But it's that that mentality of, you know, you being a leader follower, uh, I think a lot of folks look at that and think, you know, that's not real leadership. When in reality, it's probably some of the best leadership that you will probably ever experience. Yeah, I will say, I think in, not that I've had any military experience, but from my experiences, I think the uh, leaders that are actually in there getting their elbows dirty doing the work are some of the most respected leaders I have ever come across. Instead of somebody sitting up at their little white ivory tower kind of telling all the peasants what to do. Well, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard when, you know, people are presenting you, you know, this this PowerPoint presentation and you're going to go and make an executive decision and you really haven't put your feet on the ground. And, you know, when I think back, you know, and, and, you know, you see some of these, you know, former generals that are, you know, walking around in the streets of Afghanistan and stuff like that. You know, I, th- I think it takes a lot of balls to kind of like say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and see what the hell they're talking about. Uh, and with us, you know, with COVID and you go and you, you know, you're an executive or you're a director of something, then you go and you sit there and you're telling your leaders, hey, you know what, this is what's going on. Like, I'm giving you hard intel of what is going on on the front line. And we need to make a decision on how we're going to staff or on how we're going to do in creating that kind of follower for yourself on your team to me is, is just as important because people are understanding, hey, you know what, he actually gives a shit about us. He knows that we are in, in the mess of this entire you know, firefight with, with COVID and it's not getting any better. We need reinforcements. Um, yeah. And I, I think, well, probably unfortunately there's, there, there are people that don't open their eyes to it. Those folks, um, you know, if you're, if you're on a team uh, you know, downrange, you would you would look at them and you would be like, "Hey, you know, you're that guy." You know, and I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want to be that guy on this team because guess what happens to that guy? You know, we send your ass home. Uh, and you know, today with everything going on politically and everything going on with COVID and er- you know, there's there's hardly any time to really take a breath. It makes it even more difficult when you have physician staff and nursing staff that are either being obstructionist, 
or they're either hoarding information or they're not wanting to actually open their eyes and see what's really going on. I think the other thing too is that from like corporate medicine down, communication is so huge because it plays such a vast role. It creates barriers which compartmentalizes medicine to such a degree that teams don't work as effectively as they would have. It definitely does. I mean, there are there are groups that are financially disincentivized from wanting to admit patients, and even if they're sick, and that's terrible for patients. And even on a smaller like level, it goes. I mean, we've all worked in the ER now. Just the way you communicate night shift versus day shift. Like, even that has huge such difference. a huge difference. Or nurses versus doctors. The way you communicate puts up barriers in these inroads that you can't move past. And it makes this, like, really almost kind of toxic me against them. And then you've lost all ability to grow and help move past problems or help constructively um, elevate patient care at that point. That. Well, I think one of the things that, you know, is also challenging is that too little of the time do we remain objective. Like we had talked about before, when you're going to intubate a patient and secure the airway, you're not thinking about the patient's feelings because they can't breathe. You're thinking about saving their life. And what objectively do I need to accomplish to secure this airway to save this person's life? And the, that element, now there are other emotions that are involved in it, like making sure, you know, but that element of emotion is not, you're focused on the task at hand. And I think, you know, Jocko talks about detaching and, and pulling yourself back, look at the, looking at the big picture and taking your emotions out of it and, and having the conversation. It's like, okay, listen, this isn't about whether I'm right or wrong. This is about what is the best move for the patient. I might be wrong. That's cool. Let's talk about it. I think the challenge is when you propose an idea and it's, you know, it's immediately shot down without any more than a, hey, I'm the specialist. Okay, I, I respect that. I'd still like to learn. If, if Give me, you know, just a sentence or something, you know, just out of some some respect. Same with when a doctor's talking to a nurse and they come to him with an idea or, or a thought, hey, listen, this patient's doing such and such. Um, a classic example is that there's still a lot of nurses that will come to me and they're like, oh, his blood pressure's so high. I was like, okay, all right. Well, uh, does he have, he or she having any symptoms? No, no, they're, they're fine. I was like, okay, then, then we're good. We're good. You know, and I can talk to them about the, the new data that's come out supported by the American College of Emergency Physicians that you don't have to treat asymptomatic blood pressure. It's, and, and, oh, Wow, I didn't realize that. Like, it's as opposed to, oh, I'm the doctor. I know what I'm doing. Like, that whole conversation, and I've seen it happen. It's, it's so painful to watch. And it, it never goes well. Like, no one is any more endearing towards the physician when he or she acts that way. The nurse feels nothing but belittled. And, and oh, by the way, nobody learned anything except maybe how to not communicate. As opposed to, hey, listen, that's a, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to know. Because what if the patient was having a headache? Okay, 
that's a symptom. That's something I need to consider if they're having high blood pressure and headache. But if they're asymptomatic, let's talk about why that's not as big of a deal. It's not to say that we don't want to treat it, but in the emergent setting, we don't necessarily have to. Um, it's just another opportunity. And then hopefully that's a, a, a bridge that's built between that provider and that nurse that says, hey, look, I know if I go to this, this doc, he or she's not going to be rude and shoot down my idea, even if I'm wrong. Because what if they're right? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's it goes back to how you communicate it um, and, and taking the emotion out of it. I mean, you, you want to be, you know, passionate about patient care, but you, you just got to be, you got to be logical. Too. You got to be logical. Yeah. And you also have to be able to look at yourself and say, logically, I can be wrong. I have been wrong. And if I don't have nurses that help me and other doctors that help me, well, that's, <laughs> I don't get far. Yeah. I really don't want to be out there all yeah. on my own. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a good thing that you bring that up about the questions because, uh, when you talk about team dynamics, one of the big things that I remember learning early on in my career was to be receptive when it came to questions Make sure that people ask you questions. Because as in any kind of leadership role, if people are not asking you questions, then they're they're just walking away from you. They're not they're not even gonna bother you. It's just like if you you know, you call a consult on urology and you're like, hey, this guy's having a stroke, I need you to come and evaluate him. And they're like, No, he's not having a stroke. Boy, a stroke scale says he's still not having a stroke. <laughs> you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you, as a person who, you know, as, as a follower, I still have moments where I want to learn. You know, I haven't given up learning. I haven't given up, you know, thinking and processing and dreaming and all that other stuff. And I would hope nobody does because that's when you know, like, you're at your end of your rope and there's nothing left for you to really, you know, enjoy life with. But, um A lot of, when, when I, I remember when I first graduated, there was a lot of nurses and even, like, docs that I worked with that were like, hey, you know, how did you learn all this stuff? And I was like, well, I learned it from, you know, this doc named Calhoun. I learned it from this doc named, you know, Half, And I learned from this guy named Speg. And I learned from, you know, I, I just started throwing names out. And it wasn't so much that, you know... I immortalized them. It's just that these guys had seen so many patients and you start to realize like the more people you see and the more times you see it, the easier it becomes to identify. And the same thing with teamwork like and communication. The easier it gets for you to honestly accept a question, answer a question, not be an asshole about it, you're going to get a certain amount of people that are going to be like, hey, I really like working with that dude. Because he answers my question, he doesn't treat me like shit, and I actually learn something at the end of the day. And for us, we get asked questions like a thousand times a day, all day long. It's the patient's family, it's the patient themselves, it's the EMS guys, it's the nurses, it's another doc, um, you know, and, and it's nonstop, which is good, in my opinion. I also think too, you know, if you are, if you've made a decision that's the wrong decision and you 
someone advises you of that and you recognize it, own that you made the wrong decision and don't make excuses. Uh, just say, oh, yeah, you know what? That's my fault. I, I should have caught that. I should have done that. In the long run, that's going to earn you so much more respect because people are going to see, hey, this person listens and they acknowledge when they're not Correct. accurate. Yeah. They're not making excuses. Um, they're not you know, doubling down on being wrong, mm-hmm. um, which is just going to make things even worse. And so you, you really got to own it when you do make mistakes because I don't know about y'all, but I learn more from my mistakes than I do from things I get right. And it just sucks because in medicine, a lot of times that means people get hurt. Um, and so that's what makes it hard to learn from the mistakes in medicine. Um, but I do think it's, it's, got, it's, it's essential that we learn to communicate with each other in, a, in an effective manner. An effective manner that's peaceful, <laughs> not accusatory. And yeah, we all get fired up because we're talking about people's lives. And, you know, we want to, whether we like it or not, there's all a small part of us, bigger in some of us, I guess, that wants to be right. Uh, and save the day, but you know we really at the en- at the end of the day we want to do what's the best for the patient, and that's what makes it um, main objective. That's the main objective, and that's where you know working in a, in a team really can be so much more beneficial than if you're if you're by yourself. I, I mean, if you've got people who are sort of helping you along the way, and you're helping them along the way. Yeah, I was going to say, depends on the team you're working with. Very much does. <laughs> Very much does. Um, There's a difference between the A team and the B team, that's for sure. There is. There is. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that the B team can't step up their game and become the A team. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a, a mental perspective that people have to continue to work to improve. And it gets recognized. Hey, you know what? I noticed that this doc, this nurse, this tech, this administrator, um, they're, they're really working to, to get better. And I can, I can tell based on their decisions, the questions that they ask, their interactions that we have, it may not happen overnight. So don't lose faith if it doesn't happen overnight, but, but keep chipping away, keep chipping away. I think that's the, I'd say that, that'd be the thing with teamwork. Um, in terms of effective communication that how you deliver it, how you deliver the information, um, you know, being respectful of the other person, acknowledging that they may have just been making, you know, 20 decisions simultaneously and happen to miss this one decision. I mean, and that's true whether you're uh, admitting physician on the floor, ER physician, surgeon, nurse trying to put in a thousand orders or, you know, complete a thousand orders that I just put in. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's important for all of us. And at the same time, and we, we mentioned, you know, thinking, I also, it's imperative to be thinking because on a team, you know, it, it will, there, there will be times when I will put an order in on the wrong patient. It, it just happens. It just happens. And my nurses who are thinking are recognizing, like, hey, you didn't really need to put in the this order, did you, for this patient? Because, you know, they're really only here for, you know, something completely. It's like, no, I did not. Thank you for catching that. But that's because they're thinking. And, you know. Yes, yeah, sort of the, like, the a, pelvic exam ordered for Mr. Flores. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Precisely. I've seen that done a couple times. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's essential that you don't get so caught up in the weeds that you miss the bigger picture. And I think when we cultivate good teams and thinking, people that are able to think independently, obviously we have better patient care and better outcomes, but I think um, that's something that is really missing in uh, corporate medicine today is once we've cultivated these teams and we've really built them up and we're all doing really well, I don't think it's as like valued as it used to be or as it should be, at least not in our current setting. Unfortunately, I would say that corporate medicine mandates that we have so many minuscule decisions that we have to make throughout our day that when it comes time to making the important ones, the decision fatigue has set in. And, and it's real. Um, and there are so many ludicrous requirements that really don't amount to anything but checking boxes that a computer could do if someone would set it up properly. Um, and we end up having to make decisions on stupid things instead of saving our brain power for the stuff that actually matters. So I think that's a big problem with the, the corporate bureaucracy of, of medicine, um, where it's headed. And, well, you know, if, if you don't do this, then we can't bill for that. And uh, Okay, I mean, I understand that the hospital has to keep its doors on, pay the light bill and such. Um, but it sure would be nice if they could find another way to you know, use technology to accomplish some of these meaningless tasks that we're having to do. Um, you know, let us use our brain power for the analysis of taking care of the patient. Um, not the, oh, did I remember to click this box? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a necessary evil and I don't imagine that it's going away. Hopefully technology will catch up and be able to, to help there. But I think that is, that's, that's a, a problem that we see because it does, it takes some of the thinking out of it and you're just like, Oh, I'm just checking a box again. It's like, I don't know if this person's really septic, but I don't really want to get a nasty gram. So I'm just going to check some boxes or be called at 3am <laughs> or be called. Yeah. When you're not on shift. On shift. Yeah. I think some of that is also some of our own when it comes to corporate medicine I think some of it is uh, self-inflicted because a lot of us want to be kind of left alone and not have to deal with the bills and knowing how to pay for the lighting of the hospital and the sewage and everything else that goes on with it um, so some of us, I, I believe, put ourselves in a silo uh, to avoid all of that issue, which I think is good for the most part. But I also know that there has to be folks that understand how all that is done. And if, if we don't figure that part out, you know, it's all going to be run by corporate people, and then you're going to be stuck in a silo for the rest of your life. And I think most, at least in my class of medical students, didn't want that responsibility. 
most of my classmates just wanted to be doctors and they didn't want to deal with any of the other parts of running a practice or managing. And that's not, I'm sure some of them will, will want to, to do that part, but a vast majority of them. No, I think that's across the board. Yeah, yeah, Even I nurses. I, oh, mean, oh, nurses. Piece, I think across the board, you know, most of us don't want to be dealing with the day-to-day minutia of how, what goes on and how this is run and all of that. And because of that, we've lost some of our power absolutely to corporate entities who make overall sweeping decisions and we don't have any say so in it anymore, regardless of if it's beneficial to patient care, regardless of if it's beneficial to our team or, you know, if it's even beneficial to the patient at all, it's, we've, because of that, we've relinquished it to the, you know, CEOs who went to business school and have no idea how to start an IV and no idea why you would do that. So There's a slogan that one of the places that we work has that I'm not going to mention because it'll be... But it's... <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea behind the slogan is to you know, empower the physicians. And yet, what I've discovered is when it really comes time for me to make a decision and, and, and for them to walk the walk and not just talk to talk, they're all talk. They don't really want me to make decisions. They don't really want to empower me, and it's real disheartening. I think as providers, we're actually some of the least empowered people in the hospital, honestly, because the nurses have the power to leave and have another job in 48 hours. That's the nursing market. But as a provider, you're stuck through credentialing contracts and everything else, and if you don't like it, it takes a long time to find... And the more you go other places, the more you find that there's this corporate bureaucracy everywhere, like everywhere. Yes. And so I think, unfortunately, providers have really become the least devalued and depowered kind of subset in the hospital. Well, it's also difficult to build a team because I don't have any input in who is brought on as a provider. I, I may have a little bit every now and again. It's not maybe 100% true. But by and large, especially if I've just started, I have absolutely no input. The same is true of the physicians who already work at a facility where I may start. They don't have any input over whether I start. And so in terms of building a team where you effectively communicate, I, you know, short of starting a, a micro hospital, which I know some organizations have done, um, you know, these, these guys started out with freestanding EDs because they realized the hospitals were taking all their power and taking all their money. And they said, this is stupid. We can do this. And they did. And they were very successful until they got greedy. And now some of them are still doing okay. And some of them are starting to do their own micro hospitals where they'll admit, you know, some low acuity patients um, and, uh, and, and minor care stuff. Nothing that needs an ICU or major procedure cardiac. But we may start to see more and more of that pop up. They're more efficient. They run leaner. The physicians have more decision-making power and they can be owners. Now that, you know, carries its own risk, but you know, again, risk reward, you just do the analysis and see where it is, but it eliminates a lot of the, the corporate red tape. Um, it promotes independent thinking. And it does. And it's also, if there is a change that needs to happen much, much faster. Either way, even if the even if the proposed change is is rejected, you get the rejection a hell of a lot faster than you do 
at the at the big corporate hospital. You, you get to your no faster, which okay, I can move on, as opposed to waiting six months for them to be like, yeah, oh, we're not going to get you an ultrasound. Yeah, I'm we're, not being subtle have, on that one. We're going to have a meeting about it. Yeah, we'll have another meeting, <laughs> and another in meeting. eight months. <laughs> in, you know, it's not the gold in, standard in the middle of, of a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, did you need a ring cutter to do your job? No? I, I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I hear other ERs haven't. Just food for thought. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think that they, medical professionals have relinquished a lot of their uh, decision-making power so that they could um, just be a provider, just be a nurse, or just be whatever. On the flip side, I think it's almost... Now, it's 100% essential. There's so much to know that you have to... E- even these micro-hospitals have... They're not... They're a little more than an office manager, but that's, you know, essentially what they're, they're, they're like running. a house supervisor. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, because they're still... They're under the charter of a hospital, they have to have the same structures. They have to have a CEO. They have to have a CNO. Now, they don't have the same say um but you have to there is just too much work to be done to play that role and see patients at the same time even if you never sleep it is just there's just too much and not only that there are too many in, um intricacies to medicine i mean it'd be like trying to be a cardiologist and a gastroenterologist and a neurologist it just you can't do it and if anyone out there says that you can they're full of shit <laughs> I don't know if when you went to medical school but I know when because I didn't go to medical school so it's because you were smart yeah <laughs> no um, but in nursing school and getting a master's in different degrees there are other different degrees that also encourage it but we are really led to critically think mm-hmm. when I went and that is so helpful but I see less of that now less of that being encouraged to and more of it to just be I think right now is a really tough time and uh, and I say that because you know you walk into and I'm not just talking about the one hospital but to multiple different hospitals and 50-60% of your staff is, is agency and um, you know you have folks that are you know pretty gung-ho that are there and then you have folks that are just there to get their paycheck and it and it, it makes it difficult to see who the who the folks that are really right off the bat you know trying to like keep you on track and and as you know you know you're covering the ICU and uh the the staff will will give you like an accurate information about what's going on and then you have other staff members that you know I don't know if they're disconnected from what's going on or they're not paying attention or whatever and it's just like okay there's like this person's got to go because what I'm seeing right here is completely different compared to the to the report that you're kind of giving me or the it's, it's not the same. Um, I think there are 
some thinkers, uh, critical thinkers, and there's not a lot of them. That's for sure. I'll agree with you with the, on that. There's not, a, there's not a lot. I think it's just being cultivated less because schools are turning more into money game. If they can fill a seat, it's <clears throat> about money. It's less competitive and... You have all these little internet schools and everything else popping up, which are great if they're actually run well and the program is um, def- well-defined and well-structured and actually imparts education. But I, I've seen nurses come out recently in the last year who didn't know how to use a Pixis. That's a simple piece of machinery. Like, how is that even possible? That if you, you can use a laptop. If you can use your yes, phone. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. But I'm like, these are people, they went through a whole nursing program and never touched a patient because of COVID and everything. And that's terrifying. Yeah, that that's terrifying. Well, that I mean, bad. we can even speak for the medical students. The right medical now. students yeah. are doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah well, and so, so where where we are, the, the school we work with and the hospital where I work primarily, um, does allow medical students to see COVID patients. Now, the medical students can choose not to, and I don't push it on them, and some have chosen not to, but most of them do choose to see the patients. Now, I'll, I'll say, in my experience, uh, the, the first two years of medical school, I, I yeah, I'm sure they tried to do some critical thinking, but you are just trying to survive. Uh, there's just so much information you're trying to process and memorize and get from once, you know, one block to the next block to the next block, get, you know, get there. The third and fourth year is there's still a good bit of that, but there is much more of the critical thinking because all of a sudden you've got patients in front of you and you've got seniors who can say, well, wait a minute. Okay. I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I remember you saw that in a book, but does that make sense with what you're seeing? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you now that I'm on the other end working with med students and we get med students in their fourth year. So they're, in their, in their final year of med school. Um, they're, for the most part, pretty good with the book stuff, but they can't match it up to the patient. The, the things that they want to do, they're like, well, I was like, does that make sense with what you're seeing? Because a lot of them, it sounds kind of crazy to think, a lot of them don't know what a sick patient looks like. Mm-hmm. And so they think that you have to do a $10,000 workup for everybody. And in their defense, med schools make it seem like that. Like there, there is, that is, you know, you know, so that is part of the residency programs are there to design, to, to teach you the, the nuances of your various subspecialty. And then you finish residency uh, and you have a shit ton more to learn. So it's just like you continue to continue to grow and to learn and realize that, oh, you know what? I was doing this. I don't know that I was, that's correct. And, you know, Hopefully you've had an experience with your you know, throughout your residency that they've been able to guide you uh, to think through the decision making process. To be fair, that's just not doctors, nurses come out of school not really knowing necessarily or being able to always identify. Oh, this person's really sick. That's something that is cultivated by the environment they work in and their experience and how they think through things. Some people also things. never get it. That's true. That's true. That's true. But being able to triage on the fly, oh, It seems like there's a lot more people now that don't get it, though. So I'm not sure. Or maybe uh, we've just seen a lot of them come through. I'm not not sure which one it is. Maybe we just got a lucky hand. 
a not so lucky hand. I don't know. I'm glad I can. Like, I'm glad I was where I went to school. They really pushed that and really set you up and empowered you to be a good nurse and a good provider and these things. But I think back to what Craig was saying, like if you get a person, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a banker, it doesn't matter. If you get someone who's just there to collect a paycheck, they're never going to be a thinker. They don't, they don't want to be, they just want a paycheck. Mm -hmm. They want to punch a time clock and get out of there. So like some of that is, doesn't matter how much you, teach critical thinking if you've got the wrong person they're just not going to do it you know um and so some of that's on on the individual you can you can go to an online school and then still come out and be like hey look i'm really still hungry for information how can i learn how can i get better and we've all seen those uh persons get better and think good job good on you and we've also seen those persons come out of top tier schools and be lazy af and never do anything and then they lose their job and they're like, why did I lose my job? It's like, cause you're lazy. Like no one cares where you went to school or what letters you have behind your name. You're lazy. And I can't fix that. You That's on you. Number one in your school on lazy. On lazy. <laughs> that must be part of the B team. <laughs> yeah. That's not even I don't think you make the B team with lazy. <laughs> the D team. B is for diploma. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so that's where I think you, you have to take different persons into account because uh, some people m- want to keep growing and want to keep learning. And those are the type of people you try to identify and that you want to get on your team. Um, that you want to retain. That you want to retain. Yeah. Um, and you want to make every effort to, hey, look, I want to work with this person. Because um, they're the people on the team that you're like, hey, look, they might you know, miss it once. But they're going to learn and they're going to ask the right questions. Uh, and, and, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, so I don't know that it matters so much what type of school you went to or whether they, I mean, have critical thinking involved in their curriculum. You could still get people that, you know, pass through and they can't analyze anything to save their lives. Um, and you get others that never had a critical thinking course in their life. And they're like, hey, look, I don't know what's wrong with this person, but something's not right. And they just either kind of innately get it or they've put the time in or both. Um, I think that's, that's, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I graduated from UT, from Texas State, from Texas A&M, and I can tell you right now. Oh, you straddle every side of the fence. Yeah, I did. <laughs> every state school I can get all uh, And I, I don't, I don't really remember you know, anybody in particular saying, you know, hey, you know, you need to learn this class or, you know, take this class on critical thinking. There was just moments where, and I was just hungry for knowledge, you know. Um, and I, I like people like that who are hungry to learn and to figure things out. And I, I just, it makes for a great environment. Mm-hmm. Now, the unfortunate part is sometimes I wanted to learn in the middle of a chaotic event <laughs> so you know i would drive yeah. people crazy i was like so why are we doing this right now no yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably not the best time to be asking the question but it's like yeah. why epi what is so special about epi yeah well the other thing about like <laughs> well specifically with med school that i think is somewhat counterproductive to critical thinking is the emphasis on grades 
And I know some people are like, well, you know, there's now pass fail. It's like, yeah, they still have a way to rank you. Like, it's still about rank. And like, so when you're in college, you've got to get certain grades and scores to get into med school. It's just a fact. So you end up hyper focusing on that a lot more than you do on thinking because you just kind of have to. Then you get into med school and you're like, oh, cool, I got into med school. You're not done. They're still ranking you. I don't care if you're at a pass-fail med school. They're still ranking you. And I was not at a pass-fail med school. Like, we had A, B, C, D, whatever. And I've never been so happy in my life to be average. It was hard. <laughs> it was just hard. Um, and yet, I know that they're ranking you. And I know if you want to do dermatology or plastic surgery or orthopedic surgery, uh, you better be at the top of your class. Because if you're not, you don't have a chance. And it's just, it just, it's just a fact. There are certain specialties where if you're not at the top of your class, you don't have a chance of being interviewed because they have too many other candidates who are. So the emphasis, again, shifted away from critical thinking towards what? Grades. Um, hopefully, you get into a residency specialty that you want to be into in a program that you like, and then you can start to, you know, hammer out, okay, now I need to really let the grades business go, learn the material. Um, but you, there's, there's still ranking. Like, it, it's not quite as defined, um, but it's still there. Um, so, it, again, it falls back on the individual to s be able to detach, step back and say, wait a minute, okay, yes, I have to maintain a certain GPA or a certain uh, adequate level, but I got to learn, I got to understand this in a way that is applicable. And if I don't, I need to find someone who does that can explain it to me. Because otherwise, it doesn't matter what I memorize. I mean, I'm pretty sure I memorized my way through calculus. I cannot do calculus. Like, you know, like you can memorize just about anything, right? Like, but I can't use calculus. I, it, and so... I think that the, the bigger thing is to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, I need to be able to analyze this situation. And I know this about this disease state and does it fit the picture of the patient sitting in front of me? You know, I don't really know. Maybe I can ask one of my colleagues who has done this longer and hopefully you get that in your, throughout your training. Um, but let's say you don't, that's where it's really nice to have a, a, a team where I can call an intensivist and say, Hey, I, will you just look at this person? I don't really know what's going on, but I just don't feel good about X, Y, and Z. Here's what I've done. What are your thoughts? It's just really nice to have that relationship with another uh, individual um, or, or the hospitals or whoever. Yeah, so how do we cultivate that, though, in COVID, especially right now? Like, that is, like, how do you cultivate a team in COVID, especially? It's so hard. Why are y'all looking at me? I think you take ownership. <laughs> I think you take ownership. I think you you step up to the best of your ability, and you lead when it's your turn, and you follow when it's your turn. And it may take time, and people may not recognize it for months to maybe even years after the fact. But if you step up and lead by example, and that's what I think you were talking about earlier, Mandy, like, or maybe it was – but the, the guys on the front line – whether it's the generals who are in the battlefield, you know those soldiers are paying attention. 
you know that those guys are like, dude, he's a general. He's out there getting shot at. I'm going to do whatever he says. That is awesome. Um, it's true, though. Um, people The nurse that. manager that um, hired me when I was a brand-new baby nurse, um, there would be days where we were shorthanded, and she would stay, and she would take a team, and she'd, she'd stay till like, 3 in the morning, take a team after she'd been there all day, and then, you know, get rid of her team, go home, take a shower, sleep for a little bit. I mean, she'd come in later, but she'd come in and still do all her admin stuff. I mean, and she did that. It wasn't often, but when we couldn't find help, she was there without question, without fail. And I think that kind of leadership is what we yeah, need to display. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's rare, though. It so is. I've yeah. only worked under one manager or director that did that. One in 10 plus years. Yeah, me too. She was the only one. Now, the other one you asked, oh, I literally, I have this distinct memory during a trauma, whereas I was actually still on orientation in the ER, and this manager came through and was like, oh, do you guys need anything? And she almost never asked that, never, because um, she'd been so far dis- removed from actually being a nurse. Somebody said, yes, start the next IV. And she was like trying to spearfish with this oh my goodness. IV. And it was just so blatantly obvious that she had no ability to actually do clinical care and was so far removed from her team and what they needed and how it was just really embarrassing for her, to be honest. She probably should have stepped back and said, well, I can't do that, but what but else do you hey, need? what else, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a saying that I, I learned a long time ago when I was in special operations, you know, don't ever lose your craft right like don't ever lose all this stuff that you go through you know dry fire your weapon you know practice reloads all this other stuff and um, I think it's you know all those sayings in my opinion are still true today like don't lose your craft Um, you know if if you're a, a physician you're a nurse and you become a director and you move up the corporate chain there, there was this 06 that I met, this full bird colonel. And I remember her telling me, people do not like for me to go into the intensive care. People do not like me to go into the emergency room and go actually manage a patient. They think it's below me. But I'm going to do it because you know why? Because it sets a precedence for the staff that I can do it. And they will come to me and they will ask me questions, which once again goes back to the thing we talked about a little while ago. They ask questions. That means they're engaged with me. They understand my leadership. They understand that not only am I willing to take on a temporary assignment to, you know, decompress the emergency room or the ICU or whatever, but I will send their message to the corporate heads. And that's probably the most honest thing that anybody can do in any kind of real leadership corporate type of scenario. Um, And I I just think it's powerful. It is, and I think if we're going to build that type of culture wherever we are, it's going to start with one person, two people, three people, and it's 
it may go unnoticed for months. Uh, eventually, people are going to start noticing. When this person's on shift or when this person's here working, things are a little different. What is it? And, and all of a sudden, they're going to start to notice, oh, this is a lot. I, I prefer it to work with this individual, um, even if they can't put their finger on it. Um, and I think it just it starts with that. Um, and then you know, patience, which I'm not good at. I mean, I have, you know, there are physicians I can't stand working with that I would love to see fired. And I think eventually they will get fired. I mean, I, I do. I think that it's going to take time. Um, and uh, but, you know, just being patient and saying, OK, because it, 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 it's easier for nurses to jump ship, maybe, but it's not. It's not that hard for ER docs compared to physicians who are building a practice, you know, and, and, and are really locked in. You know, ER docs, they get a license in any state. They can go once they get credentialed. So it's not that much. I mean, it is, it's, it's more time, but it's not that much different. So, you know, really to, to build a, a, a foundation, a, a team, just takes time, patience, um, and leadership by example, I think. So... But throughout all that, be thoughtful. You know, work to communicate effectively um, in a way that builds other people up, I would argue, as opposed to, you know, breaking them down. Like, that just doesn't help anything. Um, or, or if you're going to break them down, you know, let them know, hey, listen, this is, this is why we're breaking you down. This is, this is, um, this is for construction ultimately uh, but we're going we're gonna to break down what you did and here's why it was the wrong move and here's what I want to see next time um, and, and in a way that doesn't talk down to another person just talks with them and again allows them to ask questions so that you know that they're engaged um, which also helps you know that they're thinking um, you know and then I also think too spend time looking at yourself looking at your own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, where do I need to get better? Uh, where am I, where am I strong? I mean, don't forget the areas you're strong. Like you said, don't lose your craft. Um, keep that up, but there are lots of areas that I need to improve. So what are those areas? All right. I'm going to pick this one. I'm going to work on this one. I'm going to pick the next one. Work on that. And you just chip away at them one day at a time. Thinking and teamwork. I like it. Anybody else got anything? All right, guys, y'all stay strong out there. Stay safe. Think, work together as a team. Uh, if, if you are on a team that's struggling, um, try to be the one person that lifts other people up. Um, it, 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 it may not pay off in the short term, but I promise in the long run it really will. Uh, and, uh, and you'll get somewhere where that will be very well received and appreciated. All right, guys, y'all stay safe. We out. Yeah. And if you're interested in learning more about training and consulting services offered by Ops Medical Group uh, and how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, your medical teams, or your business, you can contact us through our website, opsmedgroup.com, which is O-P-S-M-E-D-G-R-P.com. And please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Lastly, although we are medical professionals, we are not your personal medical professional. <laughs> This podcast is in no way to serve as a diagnostic information or advice, nor is it to replace any personal Medicare you might, medical care you might need. 
If you're worried that you may need medical care, please see your private physician or closest emergency department. If you think you need emergency care, please dial 911. Thanks. Bye.